good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, colleagues, friends. I'd first like to thank the organisers and sponsors for the opportunity to present uh, my paper today. My, uh, my main area of research for the last three years, courtesy of the Department of Antiquities, has been the study of the ancient water management system supplying Garassa and its hinterland in the Hellenistic to Byzantine period, which is an awful long time. Um, I'm actually looking outside the city. 98% uh, of the known archaeology of the Garassa area has been within the city. I'm looking outside, looking at the water installations and supplies that supply the city and the stream the, and the valley downstream. I've also looked on the eastern side of the city, but not the western. Water management systems reflect both the geo-archaeological landscape and the human settlements that they serve, and it's therefore clearly desirable to place the archaeology of the water management system and their related settlement history in their landscape context. There's been no previously published geo-archaeological study of the Jarash Valley, and the studies in Jordan's northern highlands are limited both in number and geographic scope. They include several studies in the Pella area, in what is draining west into the Jordan Valley, what is Iklab, what is Hame, what is Jerm, also what is Ashalala, and various studies in the northern Jordanian decapitalists by Bernhard Luque and others. Landscapes are not static things. They're subject not just to natural influences of geology and climate, but also to modification by human intervention. We tend to think of geological processes operating over long time spans, and of course they do. But in the Ajudland Highlands, we are also, they are also subject to sudden recurring natural events, just as seismic activity and landslips, bearing in mind it borders the Dead Sea Transform. Similarly, human interventions can occur very quickly. Researchers working in the area surrounding the Jurash Archaeological Park, for example, are well acquainted with the landscape changing on an almost daily basis in response to the pressures of increasing population, then the associated housing development and the seemingly inevitable looters seeking gold treasures in the very strangest of places. If I'm frank, the unfortunate reality is that a site that is visible today in the area outside the walls of the park can disappear under a bulldozed site, under a building site tomorrow. The landscape archaeology of the Jarash Valley is a broad subject. I'm going to limit my talk today to just two recently identified landscape elements dating to the late Quaternary that have impacted, I believe, on the valley's occupational history. These are firstly the recognition of an extensive conglomerate formation in the valley, which I have informed which I'm informally naming the Jarash conglomerate, and secondly, the fossil spring systems in the southern half of the valley. The 14-kilometre-long Jarash Valley lies on the eastern edge of the Ajalon Highlands, part of the Western Highlands physiographic region in northwestern Jordan. Bounded by the Erbid Plateau to the north, the River Zarka to the south, and the Jordan Valley to the west, Jarash, the ancient provincial decapitalist city of Garassa, lies midway down the valley. In general physiographic terms, the Ajalon Highlands form part of a dominantly limestone massif of Upper Cretaceous age, deeply dissected by many wadis. For the most part, these wadis drain westwards from, towards the Jordan Valley, I think, as you can see in that image. But the Jarash Valley drains southward to a principal and, and is a principal tri tributary to the west-flowing River Zarka, which is itself a major tributary of the Jordan. 
Geographically, the area straddles a boundary between the Mediterranean climate of the highlands to the west and the steppe to the east. Upstream of Jarash, the available geological plan shows the valley cutting through a sequence of upper Cretaceous limestone formations with the ancient city lying on now limestone, while downstream the valley narrows as it cuts through the lower Cretaceous Cunab sandstone. Looking now at the uh, modern, recent to modern physiographic setting, this low-level oblique aerial photograph taken in 1928 by the RAF, looking north, shows the key physiographic elements that exist today without the clutter of modern housing and development. The site of the ancient walled city, outlined in red, occupies both banks of the Jarash Valley at a point where the wadi bed narrows and is deeply incised into bedrock. The site of the northern water gate to the city is at a natural choke point in the drainage constricting the flow of the Wadi stream which emerges at the south water gate to flow over a 10 metre high waterfall. Within the city, the landscape on the west bank presents as, a terrace, as terrace slopes incised by small wadis, and these landforms created challenges to the 1st and 2nd century AD Roman urban planners when considering the layout of the western town and its streets and major monuments. However, the landscape was also used to advantage with the northwest aqueduct delivering abundant water from sources in the hills north of Der Eliot to the hilltop within the city west of what was to become the Artemisian in the first century AD. The landscape on the upper east bank also presents as terrace slopes, but an extensive terrace occupies the lower part of the eastern city area the site of the Circassian village established in 1878. I think you can clearly see that on the right-hand side. A spur at the southern end of this terrace projects into the wadi with a 200-metre-long, 15-metre-high tufa cascade or waterfall located at its extremity. The lower east bank terrace is bounded to the east by a prominent scarp and a large cave marks the northern end of the terrace. We're going to be looking at the contents of this cave in more detail shortly. Immediately north and south of the city, the, the valley broadens and contains rich soils that were extensively irrigated in the Roman Byzantine period from springs and the perennial stream in the wadi. I have estimated this system comprised around 40 kilometers of irrigation canals, mainly rock cut, irrigating a total area of perhaps four square kilometers in the Jarash Valley, and I believe would have contributed very strongly to the local economy. Moving now to this Jarash conglomerate unit, recent geological surveying conducted concurrently with a survey of the ancient water management system has identified an extensive fluviatile conglomerate formation, the Jarash conglomerate, on both banks of the Jarash Valley over a distance of around eight kilometers and over a smaller area within the adjacent Wadi Majar Valley to the east. That's the mapped extent, the white area there is the mapped extent of this conglomerate so far. I'm not going to discuss the Wadi Major area today, which is still under investigation. This, this conglomerate was deposited on an eroded and irregular paleosurface that was itself subsequently eroded, so its thickness varies. The disconformable contact of the unit with the underlying Cretaceous sequence is rarely exposed. 
The most extensive exposure of the conglomerate is at Baba Man, locality south of the city, where it is exposed in outcrop and in caves on the west bank of the Wadi Jarash, on the low hill that lies east of a Hadrian's Arch. This hill is so subtle you've got to look at it very closely. It shows more clearly when viewed from the valley below. In aerial photographs, this hill can be seen to form the high point of an oval-shaped plateau, which I refer to as the Babaman Plateau, oriented north-south. The virtually continuous sheet of hard-pan calcrete, two to three meters thick, that forms the upper surface of this conglomerate is draped over the plateau, presumably reflecting a paleo-high buried beneath, forming a sort of carapace that dips shallowly to the east and west. The calcretized jury crust is difficult to distinguish visually from the calcretized jury crust of Cretaceous limestone bedrock, but the conglomeratic fabric is usually readily identifiable when it's exposed in caves and tombs beneath the calcretized crust. This is a view of that, the east side of that plateau, and you can see, I believe, This edge here is the edge of the sheet that dips down towards the valley in the foreground. But the conglomerate is locally cavernous, and many claves were modified in the early Roman period to create a substantial necropolis overlooking the Garassa Philadelphia Roman road that lay immediately to the west on the other side of that hill. On the east side of the plateau, some caves, you can, whoops, okay. Some caves were modified to act as small reservoirs from water from a nearby spring, carried in a network of rock-cut canals cut into the hard-pan calcrete surface, possibly in the pre-Roman period. The landscape was later substantially modified by a major landslip that broke away about a 200-meter-long segment of the eastern edge of this plateau. That's shown in yellow, and that's what exposes that nice sheet of calcrete you see there. The flat-lying or gently dipping calcretized surface of the Jarash conglomerate forms distinctive landforms in the valley, and this view in the vicinity of Herbert el Shawahid. Uh, about one and a half kilometers north of Jarash is just one example. You can see in the bottom part of the valley, the top of the flat sheet of this calcretized unit. There's an ex a section on the left-hand side. And in the hillside above, somewhere on that hillside is the contact between the conglomerate and the uh, Cretaceous limestone that it unlaps. As I say, in the field, it's actually quite difficult to distinguish this unit when all you see is the calcrete. On the east bank of the wadi within the city, the exposed Jarash conglomerate is a poorly sorted polymictic conglomerate locally containing boulders to one meter. This is a view of a cave located just 50, for those of you who know Jarash, just 50 meters from Kwerawan Spring, the main supply in the city. It shows clearly the contact of the conglomerate above with the upper Cretaceous now limestone below. And you can see the profile there, the calcutized conglomerate at the top. Whereas the, the, the um, boulders are clearly seen, this, this one here is over a meter in size, 
the bowl is all the way through that conglomerate, but as you get closer to the surface, they disappear. And that's what makes it so difficult to um, interpret. We're going to come back to this cave later in discussing uh, its spring. At Babaman, the unit exhibits clear bedding with some small-scale post-decisional faulting with a local development of four-set beds indicating channel and braided stream environment. That's the cave, just further along from the last photograph. Here we see inside that cave, you see the base of the hard pan calcrete above and the layers of sediment containing pebbles and cobbles below. And that's another view, quite different to the cave we saw just previously. But the sedimentary structures and the fabric point to a fluvial de deposition in a very high energy environment. The whole of the eastern side of the city, sorry, the whole of the western side of the city appears to lie on calcutized conglomerate rather than the limestone people thinks it sits on, although the prevalence of the hard pan calcrete makes identification rather difficult. But I've taken some photographs around the west side of the city and there's sufficient evidence there to justify what I'm saying. So when you walk around the city, you see a lot of what looks like limestone at the surface. That is the calcretized top of this conglomerate. It is a limestone, but it's not limestone sensu stricto. The recovery of Acheulean lithics on the surface of the western slopes of the Babaman Plateau in the 1940s and 1950s provides a terminus antiquem for the deposition of this conglomerate. These lithics include one example of middle Acheulean date, placing it in the lower Paleolithic period. These surface finds may have been eroded from the conglomerate, as is the case of the middle Acheulean lithics recovered from the Darkara conglomerate in the upper Zaka Valley, 20 kilometers to the southeast of Jarash, or were deposited on its already calcretized surface at a later date. The discovery of a possible chert lithic embedded in the calcrete surface at Babaman suggests that a more detailed survey of this area is warranted a somewhat enigmatic occurrence. The age of the Jarash conglomerate is at present conjectural, but for the preliminary view is that it's likely to be contem contemporaneous with the Daukara conglomerate and the lower conglomerate member of the Tapajal-Fal formation, the Pella. The relationship between the conglomerates in the Jarash Valley and the ones in the upper Zerka are shown in this plan. They're 20 kilometers apart. You can see the extent of the Jarash conglomerate is significantly greater. The Babaman Plateau was presumably at one stage covered with soil, but today the area of soil cover is limited to the southern end of the plateau spur in the area subsequently occupied in the Neolithic by the Telo Abu Suwan ne Neolithic megasite. Moving now to the spring sites, the combination of relatively high annual rainfall and strong springs makes the Jarash Valley one of the best watered valleys in the highlands today. Despite the reduction in flow rates in recent years in response to declining annual rainfall and the lowering of water tables through the extraction of water from water bores. Field surveys have identified a number of fossil springs in the southern portion of the valley between the River Zarka and Jarash that indicate, indicate even wetter conditions existed at some as yet unknown periods in the past. On the left, the plan shows uh, the area of my study area. It also shows the major springs that exist now or have in the recent past. Uh, 
The inset on the right shows the locations of the fossil spring systems that I'm about to talk about. There are two substantial fossil spring sites within Jarash itself, both on the east bank of the Wadi Jarash. One is located in a cave just north of and at a higher level from Kwerawan Spring. The other is manifested in a substantial Tufa Terrace and Tufa Waterfall or Cascade on the east bank that lies between the south bridge and the southern city wall. Returning now to this cave we saw before, The substantial fossil spring north of Querouan, I call this Querouan Cave, is located in a cave or grotto that clearly exposes the disconformable contact between the conglomerate and the limestone below, as we have seen. Early photographs indicate roof collapse, so the cave roof originally projected much further west. Many fossil spring outlets are visible on the contact, and it's likely that a spring line existed north and south of this locality to the south, especially where it follows the foot of a scarp that marked the eastern edge of the large terrace I referred to earlier. Although the cave has suffered damage, there are remnants of ancient canals of uncertain date at this stage, taking water to the north and south. The site is unique, I believe, in Jurassic area in that a plastered monumental facade is partially preserved over one of these spring outlets. At the southern end of the town, a 15-metre-high tufa cascade attests to a major fossil spring system that discharged into the Wadi Jarash from an apron-shaped terrace of Jarash conglomerate that projected into the Wadi. Despite its prominent and central location, previous published research is limited to a brief comment by Vita Finzi 50 years ago. That's the tufa cascade. This system has yet to be dated, but the existence of a 100-metre-long section of aqueduct tunnel cut into the cascade just behind its front, plus evidence that a classical period building, perhaps a temple or monumental tomb, was located on the terrace above, suggests to me that the system had ceased to flow by the Roman Byzantine period. That's a close-up view of the front. Typical Tufa cascade. The site is unusual in the Garassa area in the existence of speleothems or uh, stalactites, stalagmites in caves and cavities in the Tufa Cascade with some excellent examples in a cave exposed in this aqueduct tunnel. Okay, thanks very much. So. See there the cave, example of a speleothem and a nice section through it. In addition to the major fossil spring systems observed within Jarash, there are two important fossil spring systems identified to the south. One located one kilometre to the south of the city, the other two kilometres to the south. One kilometre to the south, I name informally Ficker Springs. You can see a fig tree growing out of one of the, uh, one of the outlets, and you can see it's quite close to Abu Suwan. Some examples of the outlets and a rather nice um, uh, basin. There are these well-preserved hemispherical fountain basins occur on both sides. On the other side, it's even more complex. You have tunnel aqueducts, you have canals, you have more of these basin features.
At a locality known as what I refer to as El Shalal, another kilometre downstream, you have a fossil system located in Konab sandstone high on the east bank. The site has not been surveyed in detail. You can see the contact there between sandstone and the overlying conglomerate, no, numerous spring sites, and an ancient uh, canal passing below. Preliminary conclusions. Sometime in the early Pleistocene, following the onset of the Pluvial period, a Paleo Valley aligned more or less along the same course as the modern Jarash Valley was at least partially filled with fluviatile conglomerate at least 15 metres thick. The rock fabric points to rapid deposition in a high energy environment. Later, the surface of the unit was strongly calcratized. Subsequent to that, pluvial conditions returned and it was eroded. The Neolithic settlement at Tel Abu Suwan at the southern end of Babu Man may have been established during this period. The existence of the conglomerate in the valleys had a profound effect on settlement patterns. The upper surface being used for rainfall harvesting in the prehistoric periods, construction of rock-cut agricultural installations and so on. Later on in the Roman period, Hellenistic period, they used the softer material under the carapace to cut tombs. The monumental the monumentalization of one of the spring outlets at Querowan Cave, together with evidence from the adjacent rock-cut canal and plastered channel, points to, later use in the, it points to use in the later prehistoric and or early historic period. I'm just going to close with a view of an area that may soon would no recognize. That's the edge, of the, uh, uh, the edge of the conglomerate. And there we have Tel Abu Suwan, which lies just 250 metres from Fika Springs. There's been, I mentioned earlier, there's been quite a bit of damage. It's brought home to me because of the damage to two key sites on the northwest aqueduct shown here. These sites are not major monuments, but I believe they are of sufficient scientific interest to warrant um, retention and I would like to think that some of the sites I've shown here today the Tufa Cascade especially in the centre of town the ancient fossil spring systems actually reasonably accessible maybe over time could add to the portfolio of sites that visitors could visit when they come to Jarrah thank you, thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Dunn. Uh, is there any questions? Thank you for a very interesting talk indeed. Um, it's my impression from what you say that the agriculture is mainly to the south of uh, ancient Jerash, or is that really just the part that you've surveyed? No, it was just, sorry, it was just, the, I focused yeah. in my talk on the southern half. No, uh, as I think one of the early images showed, there's an extensive uh, agricultural mm, site immediately north of the city as well. So it's both sides. The irrigation system I mentioned earlier spanned the entire valley from Suf right down to the Zaka turnoff. And also in the southern part of the Wadi Tana system to the east as well. The total system ran to about 50 kilometres in length of canals and uh, over five and a half square kilometres of irrigation. That's my assessment.
<coughs> what about damming in the Wadi Jarash, particularly in the area? Uh, have you picked up any evidence for, for dams being constructed there to hold back water to make pools? No, I have looked. The only place um, there possibly could have been something is immediately north of um, the Berkutane Reservoir on the very early aerial photographs. Hmm. I'm talking like 100 metres north. Right. That's actually a natural constriction in the valley and it's exactly where you'd think to put some sort of barrage. All right. Uh, but other than that... Not no. actually where the town is itself. Well, there's a natural barrage, if you like, as I mentioned, formed by the... By at the, actually at the north gate, just east of the north gate, the the oh that's natural, the, is it? Yeah, ah, I see. Okay, you okay. have like a funnel effect. The yeah. whole hundred square kilometer area of the yeah. Jarash watershed yeah, yeah. comes to a point there. Yeah, yeah that's right. So you don't think there was any artificial uh, um, um, elaboration of that constriction to 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 dam the waters? If there was, I haven't seen any evidence oh, I of see. it. I okay. see. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. There, there's just a, a photograph in the Yale archive that shows that area. And I couldn't quite work out from that photograph if that was natural or uh, It shows artificial. a wall. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. A wall which, which is in uh, sort of oblique. I, I still don't know. There's no evidence of that wall left. It's under the bus station. Uh, I see. Okay, bus good. So you've investigated it. Yeah. But you don't think that's part of a dam, it's just a wall? No, I think if anything it's more likely to be a water control. Right. Water okay. control in the city would have been a big issue. That yeah. water... Yeah, yeah on a wet winter's day would have thundered through. Absolutely, yes. And if yeah. they hadn't been careful, it would have uh, caused serious damage to the right. infrastructure. Okay, very good, thank you. Um, I also would, uh, I would like to add that uh, during our excavation at Tal we have some uh, evidence that uh, appeared last year especially, uh, that uh, we have some carving in the uh, limestone shows that there are some water channels going uh, through the site during the Neolithic period also. Well, that's very interesting because uh, I'll talk to you this afterwards because it fascinates me because one of the photos there I showed on the east side of Babaman Plateau, not 100 metres from probably where you're talking, there is a network of seven canals cut um, over a, an interval. Um, most of, a lot of it was taken away by that big landslide I showed you, but there's seven parallel canals heading towards the, what would be the fields below a settlement on the edge of that spur. Okay? I have no, no dating for it. Um, they're absolutely clean as a whistle, these canals. They're, 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 no archaeology, no contextual archaeology we that I've seen. We actually took some samples of, for dating, so we'll see. I'd love to talk to you about that. Fascinating. <laughs> Thank you.